Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the MBIT podcast discussing tech and entrepreneurship. Today, Ryan Alford, the host of the Radcast podcast, joins us to discuss how to build your personal brand, marketing, the metaverse, and its journey as an entrepreneur. So first off, thank you, Ryan, for taking the time to hop on the pod. How are you doing today? Seamus, doing great. Appreciate you having me on. Excited to uh, talk with you today. Appreciate your time. Also excited to jump into things here. So would you mind talking a little bit more about your background in marketing and as an entrepreneur? Of course. I, uh, I've been in the marketing business for 22 years. I'll age myself a little bit. I uh, probably one of the few people that actually went and followed their college path. You know, I was a marketing major at Clemson, Joe Tigers, uh, the, uh, and started marketing right from the beginning and have been in a career for 22 years. I went straight out of Clemson into the ad agency business, working for the largest agency in South Carolina called Irwin Penland. Now they call themselves EP and co they really trimmed it down. Uh, but I, uh, worked there for 13 years. I, uh, I kind of grew with the company, was very entrepreneuristic. It was a very entrepreneurial driven agency and grew some of their accounts into large worldwide pieces of business, uh, including Verizon Wireless, where some of our campaigns like Can You Hear Me Now and Droid and the first Apple iPhone launch I was a part of. Um, and, you know, we worked on a, a lot of other pieces of business. I moved to New York in 2009 opened EP's New York office. I worked there for five and a half years. Again, large brands, you know, working both on strategy, creative, and, you know, general account management. And really just, you know, kind of thrived within the agency environment. Um, I've had a couple stops as a chief marketing officer uh, since then. And then I started Radical which is a full service digital agency here in Greenville, South Carolina, where we're, where I'm at today. This is home originally. And uh, yeah, I've just kind of had a, a journey through working for others, but I spent 17 years working for other people before starting my own company. So I really learned a lot, learned from some of the best and brightest in the marketing business, uh, spending time on Madison Avenue, which is, you know, the who's who of, of advertising and marketing, and then uh, have started our business here, Radical and we're about 20 people total and growing every day. So you obviously have quite a bit of experience in the marketing field, and that's why you created your own agency. But what was the first thing that got you interested in marketing in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm a very curious person. And I think great marketers are curious at heart. I think you have to have this curiosity for why people do the things that they do. And I think... I was always a very curious for things, how things work, how things operate, and also consumer behavior. You sort of the lost art of marketing is understanding, you know, the consumer behavior and what motivates choice and purchase decisions. Um, a lot of times, you know, we're in, we live in this performance marketing world where people think it's price point um, and very promotional driven. It is, but I was always curious about the human dynamic and how brands drive behavior. And how, yes, things at the end of the day are about the utility that some, that a purchase of something that brings you. But also, I was very keenly aware to the power of branding and marketing. Coming up in the Michael Jordan era, who was my favorite basketball player, and watching his meteoric rise with Nike 
and Air Jordan and the power and influence that he brought um, in purchase decisions and you know the branding that came with Nike and, and then soon to be Air Jordan and then the Jordan brand now have always kind of got my attention. And I think that curiosity uh, kind of drove me into wanting to, to kind of follow a career path that, that led into what ultimately was my career today. Yeah, I've had a lot of entrepreneurs come on the podcast, and one of the key themes I've noticed is the topic of curiosity, especially the successful ones. Would you mind talking a little bit more about curiosity and why it can make successful entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think, you know, most entrepreneurs are trying to solve a problem. And, you know, when they build a business, it's generally around, you know, yeah, I guess you can start, you can be an entrepreneur and start a chain or, you know, buy a franchise or something like that. But typically, the most unique or radical entrepreneurs are driven by some sort of curiosity for changing behavior or solving a problem that's never been solved before. You know, if you look at from Steve Jobs to Elon Musk to others, you know, you usually find a thread of them solving problems um, and dreaming up solutions that had not been thought up before. Uh, and I think that for most entrepreneurs, they're kind of driven by some level. I think there's a lot of passive passivity now today. We have so many conveniences. And so it's not ingrained in everyone to kind of have that natural thing. We kind of take for granted a lot of things. And I think entrepreneurs at heart, it's not that we don't live and enjoy some of those same inconveniences, but I think there's something in us that makes us want to solve bigger and broader challenges uh, and ultimately, you know, work for ourselves. Gotcha. I completely get you on that point. And transitioning here to present tense. So for people in the audience who have yet to hear of Radcast, I know you touched on it a little bit, but what is it and why did you create it? Yeah. Uh, when I started our agency Radical, I could see this trend, you know, building and I had done a few podcasts in the past. So I'd had some experience with it, but I saw this move towards media and needing to build branded assets as a company and so when i started radical it was a natural transition podcasts were starting to get energy this was you know four plus years ago um obviously podcasts have been around for a while but we're kind of in the heyday of the last you know three to four years and i saw that trend happening and i saw it as a natural way for radical to build thought leadership to create a branded media asset for the agency and, you know, to build relationships or having guests on much like we're doing here. And uh, so we started literally the day we start that I opened the agency, we had we started with it became very disciplined with doing it, and knowing that it would take time to build audience and do what it takes to make it successful. But we were just very diligent with it. And look, podcasts are the ultimate content creator, uh, you have guests on you have the the 30 minutes, one hour, however long that, that is, you can break that up, you can take images, you can take pictures, you can take quotes. Um, in a world that's driven by content, creating social media content for my personal brand, the agency's personal brand, I just saw the connective, you know, tissue there of what all that could do. And then it's opened up, it's become one of our biggest lead drivers as a business, um, probably seven out of 10 leads we get come through uh, someone that's seen, heard, or know of the podcast or shows that I go on. And so we've just seen the value in that uh, on top of 
the content creation that it brings. And then you know, the biggest thing for me is, you know, we live in a living, breathing, cha highly changing, rapidly environment that's marketing and branding and media. And it allows me to stay fresh by having people on that both enlighten the audience and enlighten me and allows me to have good discussions. So there's really, you know, we could probably spend the entire episode like talking about the benefits of, of podcasting. Uh, but uh, those are just a few for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And for those who are just starting a podcast, what are some of the tips that you would recommend for them to start growing it? Yeah, um, the biggest thing is creating a schedule and discipline. I mean, just like anything else, like there's there's a there's something that happens with podcasting. It's called pod fade. Literally, like I think it's something like seven out of ten. It's something really high where seven out of ten people that start podcasts quit after five or six episodes. And, you know, they don't set up the tools, the discipline and the schedule to stick with it. They expect hundreds or thousands of people to just listen like you build it and they come. And so they get maybe dissuaded or um, disinterested or just let down that like it's not growing fast enough after four or five episodes, which is, you know, mind boggling to me when I think about how many <laughs> episodes we're at. We're at episode like 200. I think we've recorded like 275 now. Uh, I think 250 have, have aired and, you know, it took at least the first, I don't know, 75 to 100, I feel like before we had even what I would call a real audience. And so I think people have to set up the schedule and be disciplined and committed to doing it. So find something that you truly are, are passionate about. Find something that you can, you know, keep fresh topics or fresh guests and create a system around that behavior so that you stay disciplined through the growth period because you're not going to monetize in the first six months no matter i mean unless you're a celebrity unless you already have hundreds of thousands of followers and you can flip a switch you know you're building an audience and so you have to stick with it for the long run and be committed to it but it helps to do it when you're doing something that it's either your career you're passionate about or that you have natural kind of levers that you can pull for getting content or guests. If it's something that's really hard, you know, I'm a firm believer in like this, in marketing and in life, removing friction, <laughs> it, you know, brings behavior, yeah. brings things. And if you choose something, wow, I've always been interested in astronomy. Okay, there's an audience for that. But do you know a lot about astronomy or do you have a lot of connections in astronomy? Or, do, you know, like, if you're choosing something in left field, you don't have a way to kind of create, you know, immediate guests, immediate content or things, then that's just a friction point for not making it happen. And and it becomes an excuse channel as well. And so some of it, you know, my advice is just really practical. It's not like, well, you have to have this tool or this microphone. Yeah, those things matter, but it's more about removing the friction for getting you into a groove for consistently producing shows. And, you know, I probably didn't say it, but, you know, our Radcast is we're top 100 in marketing and, and business on Apple and Spotify. So, you know, we do two episodes a week. You know, there are two levers for us. One's a guest episode. So we do a radical business journey is what we call it, where and that might be a celebrity that might be a famous founder of a company or just someone really interesting talking about the metaverse. You know, but they're typically everyone has a business and marketing journey. You know, even celebrities now are starting three and four or five companies themselves. So they have business journeys. 
So we keep it through that thread of business and marketing. And then on Fridays, we do kind of a laid back, irreverent uh, marketing news episode where, you know, we kind of just have at it and some things we make fun of and some things we highlight, but we don't take it too serious. And as you mentioned, podcasts are content creation machines where you can easily break up a bunch of different portions of a podcast and distribute it across multiple different media platforms, including TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, with all the hecticness and bad press around Facebook censoring content, and just recently with them paying a GOP firm uh, to malign TikTok, do you think Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, is still a good place to build a brand? Yeah, I do. I'm high on on uh, Instagram, and I know they're owned by Meta. I know uh, the devil that that we dance with, uh, as I like to say. So don't. I'm not naive to that, and I think you bring up a good point. But it's still a a channel that has a ton of attention and people on it. And though we do recommend paid ads for the right people, it's free. So you can start it, you can start engaging, you can start building audience, uh, you can start you know, pulling the levers to grow uh, your audience for your personal brand, your business, or you know, your podcast. And yes, there are just intrinsic, I think you need to be aware of some of the potential negatives, but this is still a platform that's growing. Um, it still has a ton of influence. And though I am high and big on TikTok as well, uh, I do think that Instagram is the number one channel that I push people for building awareness and branding most of the time. Uh, you know, every, there's some nuances there. And if you're just heavy B2B, then I, you know, I point you to LinkedIn. But if you have any crossover whatsoever, I think LinkedIn is kind of the middle ground. And what are some of the best ways for people to grow their brand through Instagram? Yeah. Um, I, I call it the golden rule. It's not that complicated. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. <laughs> and literally, if you want engagement and if you want growth, then you have to engage and you have to follow. So you've got to get find your niche audience. What's your target audience? Who do you want to engage with? If you're trying to build your personal brand, why are you trying to build it and what are you trying to accomplish? And then you go like, follow, and engage with the types of people that you want doing the same to you. Um, DMs are huge. It's amazing to me, like how much access there is. Yeah, I mean, is, is you know, Mike Tyson gonna respond to every DM just because he's on there? Probably not, but you'd be amazed at how much access there is through the DMs. I answer and read, you know, just about every DM I get. And I'm verified, I have 100,000 followers and so I see it, and as long as someone's adding value or says something interesting, I, I typically respond, and I probably get, I don't know, 100 a day, you know, and I'm probably on the lighter side. There's certain people that get more than that, but I think you'd be amazed at how accessible people are through the channel, and, you know, you try, and you keep trying again, and don't immediately just try to, you know, message 17 celebrities and hope that they start following you. You know, be more specific and realistic to your niche. But again, it's it's the golden rule. You know, you're just not going to get on there and be a, a voyeur just watching and people are going to start following you. Or it's also not posted and they will come. You know, people think, well, I'm posting content every day. I post it all the time and I'm not getting any followings. But are you engaging with other people? Are you creating those those networks and those channels 
that then you get that return engagement. And so, and then once all that starts happening, there is some paid approaches that need to be considered if you want to scale. Again, these are free platforms, but if you want the reach and frequency, which are the two keys to media, two key components of media, uh, how many people see your message, how often they see it. And if you want to break through, you, you, you eventually do have to pay to play, but you don't have to start there. You know, crawl, walk, run. That's what I tell my clients. <laughs> you can crawl first, then we can walk, and then we can run. 100%. I think your point on adding value on other accounts is super important one because although I'm still very small on Instagram, I've grown my brand on Twitter to a few thousand followers, nothing huge. But in a matter of like six to 10 months, I've been able to do that by engaging with other accounts in my niche and actually adding value. And the point you made on adding value is a big one because a lot of people will just comment something like, oh, great threat or amazing point. But you really got to add something meaningful to the conversation as if you're discussing with that person. And if you do that over 20 posts every single day, you can really grow a brand like that. Yeah, just be thoughtful, like you said. I mean, be, you know, like, it's back to that curiosity, though, like thinking about what someone posted and, you know, what does that mean? And how can I add value to this thread? You know, especially on Twitter. I'm, I'm admittedly, I grew a following on Twitter, and I've completely gone somewhat silent on it. I do a lot of reading on it with news. Um, I, I, you know, I probably have several thousand followers on Twitter, but admittedly, I want to get back into it because I do think it's a smart platform, especially with, you know, adding smart insights and, and comments. So I do value it. Um, but you do have to, but Twitter takes a lot of like, you got to really be there, you know, as you probably know, not that Instagram isn't any platform is, but it's more just divide and conquering kind of where your audience is. But you're absolutely right about just being thoughtful about what you respond to and, and adding some value and not just, that's awesome. <laughs> For sure. And one of the big things being discussed in the media nowadays is Web3 and the metaverse. With the metaverse being the next infrastructure for digital social interaction, what do you think the marketing impact of it is? It's huge. You know, we 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 have fun. We do a section on our podcast on Fridays, Trends in the Metaverse. And we have fun about it because it's such in the news and it's hard to not like eye roll sometimes because of like how seemingly hip it's being made out to be and the reality that some of the some of the uh executions right now are a little uh i think uh, i don't know uh soulless <laughs> for lack of better words but i will say this look i use this analogy quite a bit um and if you've heard me on other podcasts i'll apologize you've probably heard it before but i have four boys and they're coming up as digitally native and they're coming up as metaverse native because, you know, they spend, we play sports, they play every sport there is, but when they're not playing sports, they do play video games. And between Roblox uh, and uh, some type of building, some type of metaverse experience, whether that's, I'm forgetting every name, but uh, Roblox is like their favorite right now because they're all under the age 12, you know, so... Uh, Fortnite is, of, of course, kind of another layer of that um, they play. But I think as they get older, they'll be more towards those. But they're growing up in this space where that's an experience that matters to them. Um, my 12-year-old could care less what he walks out of the house with wearing. But if his avatar on Roblox is not looking hip and cool, he's had a bad day. And so I recognize that consumer behaviors, you know, you know Gen Z, Gen Alpha, you know, these guys are ruling the world one day, sooner than later, 
and they're coming up where this is a medium that matters. So it's another place. So I think we like to complicate it a little bit when in reality, it's another channel. It's another place, you know, where social media was new and a new place to market. The metaverse is going to be another place we spend our time, you know, whether that's AR, VR, putting goggles on, or if it becomes more native to the screen. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure technology is being built where maybe we don't have to put these goggles on every time, but we'll see where it goes. But I do know it's where we're going to spend time and it's another channel with which to market. Um, and then, you know, some of the technologies that Web3 and NFTs and all the smart contracts, all that's the future. I mean, that's where it needs to be anyway. You think about how long and how ridiculous it is, like title searching for houses and like some of the things that should be digital and like tracked, you know, having the, a contract or any type of contract, it makes a ton of sense. Now, the application of whether or not board apes are going to be worth a million dollars in 10 years, I don't know. It's speculative like any stock, I guess. Uh, I have my doubts on some of that, but I think the practical reality is this is a channel that's real, that's growing, and uh, you need to be paying attention to it. But depending on the, what you are, who you are, what brand you are, you need to be paying attention and learning and understanding, but you may not need to be investing heavily in it just yet. I completely agree. It's still very early, but it is a medium worth paying attention to. Um, speaking of, do you think the metaverse could have applications that end up getting rid of web to social medias, for example, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, if they don't move to the metaverse? Uh, I think it's additive right now versus replacement. Could I see, there's a reason that Facebook changed their name to Meta. Uh, a lot of smart people with a lot of money, you know, don't just make those decisions for no reason. So I do think you might see a transition to, to the metaverse and web three having more of these social experiences and in practice, but right now I think it's additive versus replacement, but it, you know, all bets are off of where we go in the next five or 10 years, you know, but I will say this, there's this, there's this theory and expectation that, you know, web three is going to be remove walled gardens. It's gonna, you're going to have all this openness and you're going to be able to carry data, which I believe will happen. However, at the end of the day, it takes money to develop these technologies. There's a reason, you know, Facebook, everyone wants to give Facebook a lot of crap, but it took uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to build that ecosystem. And if you want someone to have an ecosystem, someone has to build it. So thus someone owns it. And so I think the theory that it won't be an owned place by an entity is probably a flawed one. But I think you're going to see it as additive versus replacement in the near term. You've also talked about the TikTok effect on social media. So we know platforms like TikTok, YouTube Shorts, and Instagram Reels can be very helpful to reaching an audience and brand building. But what impact does it have on other types of media? Yeah. So I'm, it, it has a really lasting impact. And I think what it's done, and, and I think it's starting to spread, you know, two years ago, it was a 13 to 17 year old platform. And now over 50% of the growth is coming from 30 plus years old. So people that are still thinking TikToks is for the kids needs to get, you know, the hell off the, the bench, so to speak. Um, I don't know where your audience falls. I, I usually have a little bit of a potty mouth. I'm trying to keep it clean for you, Seamus. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but uh, so number one, that, and what's happened is it's a very frenetic platform. It's very, everything's kind of cut really tight and really 
in really short. It's enhanced the ADD of America, as I like I, I say. Everybody like wants things now because we always want. There's this, you know, everybody expects kind of to get what they need in the moment. Everyone wants everything convenient. TikTok has built on that need because I want the information you're trying to, to convey to me quickly. I want to get this golf lesson that used to be 30 minutes in one minute, you know, really cut down, really tight shots. And I think you're seeing that proliferate. You see reels on Instagram. You're seeing even Twitter has played around with some of this with stories and other content. And I think you're seeing kind of that get to the point quicker. And I think that has proliferated into other mediums. Now, it doesn't mean I want to be real clear. So I think it's proliferated that short form. It's made short form video very popular and very impactful. But there's still a place for long form and for storytelling with brands. I just think it has to be done in the right mediums, whether that's YouTube and YouTube's gone down this channel as well. YouTube's seen the same impact with short form video. Um, and it is the here and the now, but there's still a place for storytelling and branding. It just has to be done the right channel in the right way. And it's not in the TikTok feed, even though they've gone to, I think, 10 minute uh, length now. Uh, I've yet to, uh, I'd like to do, a, I'd like to do some quantitative, qualitative research where I see people actually spending that long on one video if they're swiping after 30 seconds, because, but what it's done is it's really changed the mental experience with video and the branding experience and the expectations that consumers have with getting to the point, being transparent. And the biggest thing is what I call kind of the education versus entertainment di diagram where you have to be doing one or the other. There's no more time or people just are not gonna put up with being marketed to. Everybody knows they're being advertised to. And what TikTok's done is you've gotta educate or you've gotta entertain. And it's one or the other. And yeah, you go, oh, well, there's always something. No, it's one or the other right now. And you need to do both quickly. <laughs> and with all these advancements in technology and marketing these days, you've also talked previously about the seven ageless truths in marketing. What yeah. are they? All right. Um, I try to, I try to go in my order, but number one is reach. So the biggest thing that, that we see um, happen is people think that reach has gone away and reach is really how many people see your message. And so if you're selling a mass market product or service, you have to have reach. So I'm trying to sell, you know, a B2B product where I only need to sell 10 a month. Okay. Well, maybe it doesn't matter, but you've got to have reach, which is the number of people that see your message is the number of times. The second thing is creativity. So, Performance marketing has kind of driven this thought that price point, I know that you're shopping today and very promotional driven, but the reality is I think creativity has always been an important part of marketing and it's going to become even more important in this world where data isn't as readily and easily uh, used by the platforms for targeting. And so you've got to be highly creative, almost back to the TV commercials of 15 years ago, because think about it, 15, 20 years ago, we didn't have the amount of data that we have now. And so we had to be highly creative in our TV and our mass media create, uh, marketing because you had to get attention. And I think we're going to have a resurgence of that. And it's always kind of been the tried and true. The other thing is distinctiveness. So again, 
we have to stand out. You have to have differentiation. And there's an old saying that says you'll never compete a day in the world if you're different than everyone else. And so you stop competing and you start growing when you're not having to battle the we're just better. You know, well, better is relative. So but when you're distinct, when you have difference between yourself and your competition, the significant discernible difference that always wins. Another one is motivation. So, okay, I talk all about creativity and all that, but we still got to drive a behavior. So motivation is driven through a lot of different things. Scarcity, uh, you know, only the limited time. So there are some promotional triggers that do still hold relevance. Uh, so I like, I may poo poo the, the performance marketing stuff a lot, but, but there are motivational factors that still matter for driving behavior when you need to. So you've set up the premise, you've driven creativity, you've created interest, but how do we get them down to the bottom of the funnel and making a purchase? So motivation is still huge. Um, I forget what number I'm at, but those are like my, I'll call those my five favorites. <laughs> how about that? Yeah. Yeah, that works. I think motivation is definitely one of the big ones because if you have drive and motivation, you can pretty much figure out, you can loop your way around to where you want to go and how to get there. And uh, yeah. to wrap it up here, what are your takeaways for the audience on uh, brand building and audience building? Yeah, uh, the law start brand building. Um, I, I, I teach a lot about this. There's, there's a short-termism that's kind of baked into America and the world as a whole where everybody wants results today and brands are not built overnight. Um, there's, you know, back to those principles, there's a need for reach and frequency and you just can't reach everyone that you need as often as you need to in one month. And so you have to build brand over time. Apple was built over time. Audi was built over time. Uh, all these brands, some of the most historic brands, Verizon, some of the ones I've worked on Budweiser, you know, there's a reason that they have invested into their brand building and storytelling. I think the ways with which you brand are changing because the mediums are changing back to short form and long form and how you do it and the education and the entertainment aspects. But you have to build affinity for your brand. I still believe that there is a dynamic for how purchases get made, whether that's a funnel, whether that's a cycle. But you still have to play the, the, the game and you still have to build consumer mindset around your brand and that takes a frequency and a number of impressions over time and it changes because there's other dynamics that come in other competitors that come come in and if you aren't top of mind then you're in a significant deficit to your competition and the only way to stop to stay top of mind is for continual branding and so i think it's super important i think it's a lost art and it's something we work with clients with every day well, I appreciate your time today, Ryan. Uh, to wrap it up here, thank you everyone for hopping on the Ambit Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to drop a five-star review down below and uh, share this with your friends on anyone who's interested in building a brand and an audience. Well, thank you, Ryan, for taking the time to hop on the pod. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. And if you want to follow along, you can follow me and actually join our mastermind, the radicalformula.com. If you want to get on some training, it's very affordable, very in reach. We train on uh, marketing and mindset, and then you can find me on all the platforms at Ryan Alford. I'll make sure to have all those links down in the description below to anyone who's interested in checking them out.